Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Secure Talk. My name is Mark Schreiner, and I'll be your host for this episode of Secure Talk. Today, we're going to be talking with John Shigarian, who is the co-founder, chairman, and CEO of ERI. ERI is the largest cybersecurity-focused hardware destruction and electronic waste recycling company in the United States. We're going to talk to John about that, uh, maybe talk to him about a, a book that he co-authored called The Insecurity of Everything, and some other things related to, you know, uh, device disposal, best practices, security, and so on. But before we do all that, uh, let's say hi to John. John, how are you today? Hey, Mark, I'm really great. And thank you for having me on your podcast. It's really an honor. Thank you for coming on. And it's it's interesting because a lot of the people I talk to um, are from the technology or software development or app side. Um, you're coming to IT security and cybersecurity from a slightly different angle. And we're going to get into that in a second. Uh, but you asked me before the show started where I'm based. Where are you at? I'm in Fresno, California. We, our headquarters are in Fresno. I'm a native New Yorker. We've got um, nine locations across the United States, and we service every zip code in the United States, and then we service about 70 countries around the world. So, um, uh, but where I'm sitting today is in beautiful Fresno, California. Awesome. Well, well, hey, we're in the same time zone, and we're probably enjoying <laughs> this uh, this late, the same similar late summer weather. Hey, um, one other thing, I happen to notice in your profile that uh, that you also went through the Managing Risk in the Information Age program at Harvard. Hundred uh, percent. During the uh, pandemic, I went through that um, that course and that series of courses, actually, and that certification process. And I'll tell you what, it was highly valuable. And I would recommend that and the certification process at MIT, which I also went through um, for anybody that's interested in the uh, cybersecurity ecosystem. I highly recommend both courses. I got a lot out of both during the pandemic and uh, made use of some of that time, which was sort of a very weird time in, in all of our history. Exactly. And it was kind of like, you know, making uh, lemonade out of lemons or something because, you know, we had this downtime and if you could find productive or interesting things to do, there were a lot of opportunities out there. I also went through the uh, the Harvard program at the same time and huh. agree with your assessment 100 percent. Super valuable program. Uh, but yeah. what I liked about it was it it the way they ran the program, you know, which was kind of just every week you would build on to the the previous week's module and build on a little bit more a little bit more but you know all the writing and the exercises kind of helped me solidify and i guess organize all that information much more effectively than say i don't know just reading you know reading a book on how to do it it, it really forced you to kind of do the mental work do the teamwork and uh, i like like you said i mean i, I took a lot of a lot away from that it was exactly what you just said. It was a layered approach and it didn't just, it wasn't just, first of all, as you know, we were able to do it on our own time during that time where um, in history where time became a very amorphous thing anyway. So if you were a night person or a day person, it wasn't like you had to show up at a certain time for a class. So we got to watch the courses during that week period at our own time. But then, like you said, we had to listen, we had to do uh, writing exercises, Q&A, and other things that really helped us apply the material. And man, 
it, it just has made me smarter at everything I do and made my mind open to uh, learning more and evolving as this whole industry evolves, frankly speaking. Yeah, exactly. But I got to say, one of the things they didn't talk about yeah. was cybersecurity focused hardware destruction and yeah. electronic waste recycling. So yeah. why don't you set the stage and tell us what is that? <laughs> well, it's so funny. It's, it's, it's still, you know, Mark, unfortunately, it's still very, it's talked about in hushed tones and doesn't get a lot of coverage. So just as an example, when we started this company about 20 years ago, our goal was to be to solve the e-waste problem. E-waste back 20 years ago was the backside of the technological revolution. It was the fastest growing solid waste stream in the world. By the way, 20 years later, it still is. In fact, it's even grown to a bigger problem. We'll talk about that later. But as we started growing the company, we realized eh, we needed some other angles to get into clients, other things to make them listen to us. And we started watching the advent of Palantir, 2003-24, in Silicon Valley. We watched LifeLock be born in 2007 in Phoenix, Arizona, and this whole issue of um, privacy and protecting personal privacy. And then cybersecurity started to become part of our lexicon, but it was only about software. And we started talking about the hardware side of it, protecting all the data that's in all of our electronics that have become ubiquitous to our lives, to our wearables, to our EVs, to our to the things that are, are surrounding us in our house, the Nest and the Ring and the and our cell phones and our laptops and desktops, desktops. So we started talking about protecting the data that's contained in all these devices when they come to their natural end of life. And people thought we were nuts. They thought we were Martians. Coco, you know, they thought we were cuckoo bananas in 2012 until I was very lucky, Mark. In, two, in 2017, I ran into the head writer for cybersecurity for Fortune magazine. His name's Robert Hackett at our cybersecurity conference in Manhattan. And we traded business cards. He says, I'm gonna give you a call in a week. I said, great. So he calls me in a week. He said, listen, John, I spoke to my editors. This is five years ago, Mark. And he goes, we're shocked how we've covered only the software side of cybersecurity and protecting organizations and people, but we've never covered the hardware data destruction part of it and the hardware part of cybersecurity. He goes, do you mind if we write a story on you, on your company? I said, no, of course not. And they wrote a story called Dead But Not Forgotten. And uh, it just basically gave the history of electronic waste and the technological revolution and the perils that lurk within our old hardware if we don't appropriately destroy or dispose of these materials and this data when hardware comes to its end of life. And the last sentence of his article was this. It turns out that electronic waste is not only an environmental hazard, but a cybersecurity one as well. And that's the world we live in today, Mark. It, it, more and more people have recognized it, but very, very few talk about it, and the media doesn't even cover it. Well, yeah, now, as, as I said at the outset of the show, uh, 
most of the people come on here, they talk about technology in the, in, in the context of, you know, intrusion detection systems, uh, antivirus, uh, you know, business email compromise prevention tools, data loss prevention tools. Uh, but but nobody's talking about the hardware. Um, no. And I would say nobody, but it's 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 a very small right. percentage. And and then to further agree with you, I think that we all recognize at some point, whether you're in a company or as individuals, you can't just throw, you know, your old displays in the garbage. Um, there are proper ways to dispose of them. You got to work with your, you know, your lo local waste management company for that environmental side. Right. That was the concern. But people, unless you were in the IT industry, you weren't really worried about what, you know, you thought, well, I just deleted everything on that hard drive, so I could just throw it away. Um, probably not the best practice. So why don't you speak a little bit to that? Like, okay, environmental side, it, it's a given. There's all kinds of nasty right. chemicals, uh, metals, right. everything in there that, 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 that we don't want to just throw in the ground, right? Um, but right. from the security side, what are the, what are the main issues? Oh, the main issues are that if we dispose, inappropriately dispose, and I'll get to what that really means, of our hardware, when we're done using our cell phones, tablets, laptops, just to start with. So for instance, we wanna trade up and trade out our cell phone. Of course, everybody always wants the latest, doesn't make a person a bad person for wanting the brightest and shiniest penny, but, a lot of the problem is the opaqueness of who we're handing the phones to. So for instance, they did a study, uh, the National Association of Information Destruction, NAIDE, which was originally started, Mark, for the paper shredding industry, the shreddits of the world, the Iron Mountains of the world, et cetera. They eventually evolved to also hardware data destruction shredding as well, and they, they, uh, they certify companies like ours that do it the right way and make sure the data really is gone. So they did a study of, of gadgets that were they could buy online that, quote unquote, were previously sanitized, fancy word for cleaned and wiped, uh, from the data that was contained in those materials. And it turned out that over 40% of the cell phones and other electronics that they purchased online for this test that were supposedly sanitized still contained the data of the previous users. So what does that really mean for all of us? That means that's just per, because pretty yeah, scary. It's scary. <laughs> it's scary. And 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 the truth is we need to create a less opaque ecosystem. So when you get rid of your old electronics, whether you're running a large publicly traded company and you're the director of IT or the direct, or you're the chief information security officer or a nonprofit or your local government entity and municipality, or just your household, you have to make sure where you're getting rid of your old electronics, that you have knowledge of what they're going to do with it. Because truth be known, yes, there's a great part of the population that just want your old electronics to reuse them. They're benign, they're nice human beings, they have no malintent or misintentions to do anything wrong with your children's old iPad or your husband's 
old cell phone or your mom's old desktop. But unfortunately, Mark, as you and I both know, there's a, a, a small portion of the population that are quote unquote cyber criminals. And as you and I learned at, at, in that certification course at, at Harvard, $3 trillion in 2015, cyber criminals successfully got away with stealing across the world. And a mere six years later, that number had jumped in 2021 to $6 trillion. So cyber criminals, even though when we were little kids, we're taught that crime doesn't pay. Unfortunately, in the cyber criminal world, it actually does. And so we don't want quote unquote cyber criminals ending up with our home or our organizations, old electronics that have any data on them because you never know how catastrophic the results can truly be. Okay, well then, so what are some of the solutions? I mean, obviously, I, I think people are familiar with like shredding your disk drive, but yeah. let's let's stick with the example that you gave earlier of yeah. the cell phone that I want to trade in and trade up or trade yeah. down or whatever. How do I, you know, how do I do that? One, as an individual, or two, yeah. maybe as a as an organization at scale, where we don't yeah. want to just throw all these in the dumpster. We want to, no. you know, take some value out of them. What, what what's the what, what's the way to do it? Well, you got to run a process. So if you're going into a, a retailer, just as a man or woman on the street, just to start there, it's okay to ask who handles these materials for you. Do you do this in-house or do you subcontract this out? And who's handling it? And what are their certifications? So I'll give you the major certifications. Since this is a cybersecurity uh, podcast, the, the main certification in this in this in this sector is the National Association of Information Destruction or the NIST standard, which of course is the government standard for um, for uh, government protected hardware and government protected information. So you wanna find out is the recycler that they're using or if they're doing it in-house, are they certified to the National Association NAID uh, of Information Destruction Standards? That's critical because if they're not, they don't take data destruction and data wiping seriously. Now, most of the retailers out there are very focused on both environmental protection and also data protection as well. So I could tell you some of the ones that do it right. Best Buy does it right. Staples does it right. Costco does it right. Uh, Amazon does it right. Those are just four that I'm very familiar with, um, that we're involved with, and I know they hold their vendors to very, very high standards, and they themselves hold hold themselves to high standards. But as we know, there's thousands of retailers out there that do trade in, trade up, and there's also thousands of websites out there that similarly do the same. So the man or woman on the street that's listening to your podcast, how, you, you can't be, feel funny to ask the hard questions now, because truly your life and your income and your protection of your family or just yourself is at stake. So you wanna know, you wanna get rid of the opaqueness that historically existed in the industry. And you wanna know where's this stuff really going and who's truly gonna handle it before it's resold and remarketed. On a, on a scale basis, go on Mark, I'm sorry. 
Well, I was just going to say, let's let's come back to the scale basis in a, in a second here. But sure. um, what what can you tell me about the actual physical or technical process yeah. that completely wipes the data? Because you know, yeah. <laughs> people think like, oh, well, I, I I wiped the phone or I, I it's back to factory reset. Um, it should yeah. be good. Why isn't that good enough? And what what takes it to the next level, to the appropriate yeah, that's level? That's a great question. And so the DoD has a seven. Uh, as, as a standard, it's a seven white methodology that uh, responsible, let's just call them responsible recyclers and responsible data destruction companies like our company uh, does. And, um, and there's a lot of responsible recyclers out there. We're not by far, we're not the only one. And it's a seven white methodology. That's number one. Number two, how they handle your electronics to make sure there's no um, uh, loss, like the loss prevention in their facility in terms of physical security, in terms of cameras. So for instance, we're the only recycler in the world. This is so bizarre, Mark, that's SOC 2 certified. That makes no sense. That makes no sense that we're the only recycler on the planet that's SOC 2 certified in the electronics destruction and electronics recycling space. Makes no sense in 2022, but unfortunately that's the reality. And again, SOC 2, takes it to an even higher standard in terms of physical, software, and all sorts of other standard operating procedures, security methodologies to make sure that yes, even though your phone or your old tablet might be being wiped appropriately, how about if an employee at that facility steals it or it leaks out somehow? That's again, we're, that's uh, that's that's what we're trying to prevent by all these certification methodologies. So. The key is what's going on underneath that roof, what's their processes and procedures, both from a physical standpoint, from an eyes in the sky standpoint, from a procedural standpoint of how they're handling the data, and how do we make sure it's gone? Then after the, the materials are wiped, then it's retested again to make sure all the data's gone. Then it can be repackaged and resold. Now, Mark, there's another standard as well. Some people, some organizations, both large and small, say, hey, that's not enough. We don't believe that's enough. And we're not going to sleep well at night. So we have the world's largest shredders that we invented back in 2008 and 9. We really invented them originally to liberate and clean the commodities that we were shredding because all the commodities that we create out of old electronics are all resellable and go back to old to new smelters for repurposing. But now these shredders are not only still doing that, the good work of shredding commodities, but they're now also repurposed as the world's largest data destruction machines. So it goes into those shredders and it gets commoditized. And again, all those commodities get resold and all that data again goes away forever. And there's, of course, proof of that as well. And both systemologies, you have a proof. You have a proof of the wiping and a proof of the retesting, that a certificate that gets issued to the client. And likewise, on the shredding, if, if they've asked for shredding, the same thing happens there as well. So, I mean, what my main takeaway on this is, don't be afraid to ask. Uh, in Correct. fact, you should be asking, and especially if you're in a, in a uh, representing a, a large organization, it's Correct. part of your job to understand what's you know what's the chain of control or chain of uh, I guess you know and and understand what's going to happen because you can't just say oh well we sent it off for 
to uh, to be disposed of and hey the, yeah they're environmentally friendly no you got to you got to really dig into that and figure out is it, are your devices being disposed of in the appropriate manner um let me ask you are there any devices that cannot be recycled everyone asks that question it's a great question mark and the media misrepresents this and they want to villainize OEMs and say oh they're creating unre- uh, you know uh, you know materials and new products that are not recyclable it's all bunk The bottom line is everything that an OEM creates, we can recycle. Now, let's parse that, though. Great question you asked. Now, the truth is some things are are more difficult to to recycle than others. Like what? Like like all the ear pods that we all enjoy that makes our lives more interesting when we're in the gym or we're just walking down the street and we're listening to our favorite podcast or favorite music. We all, in one way, shape, or another, are enjoying the invention and the sophistication of ear pods, but they're small and they contain, of course, the very hazardous and dangerous lithium ion batteries. That's how they were created. That's how they were invented. No one invented them to hurt the planet purposefully. No one invented them to be hard to recycle purposefully, but they are. It takes more labor to meticulously take them apart, remove the battery, the battery goes through the appropriate downstream, which in our company's um, case is a company called Redwood Materials, which was founded and owned by J.B. Straubel, the co-founder of Tesla. And he invested in our company and sits on our board and gets all our lithium-ion batteries. And he fully recycles all the materials out of lithium-ion batteries and extracts all the lithium and copper and, and cobalt and other precious materials that can be repurposed out of lithium-ion batteries. So yes, it's a great question. Are Is everything that's created in the electronic ecosystem by OEMs recyclable? The answer is yes, just some things are more difficult than others, but everything can be recycled. And that's great news for the planet and great news for all of us as consumers, because we can enjoy the ubiquity of all these great electronics that are constantly being reinvented and making our personal and our professional lives more connected, more interesting, more fun. Um, uh, uh, but also they have a good place to go when they come to their end of life. Well, hey, you know, I, you, you actually bring up another question, not necessarily security, security related, but more in terms of environmental protection. And yeah. that is, you know, the lithium-ion batteries and all yeah. the batteries that are being being used in just the explosion of electronic <laughs> devices. And we can start at the top of the food chain and maybe look at cars. Yeah. Uh, and I, I don't know, I haven't heard of how we are going to handle that because, I, you know, we, the, that's just, the, you know, one subset, though. And yeah. then we have things like elect, electronic lawnmowers and blow dryers and everything now is being um yeah. you know electrified which which yeah. if you do the studies and you and you you know you, we can get into the whole like is it good for the environment bad for the environment that's a whole nother discussion um right. but it's 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 not as simplistic as some people like to put it off put it out there um but in terms of just the disposal or recycling of the batteries what's your take on that oh well my take is simple and i learned so much so jb Straubel was the co-founder. These two main co-founders of Tesla, Elon Musk and J.B. Straubel. So J.B. Straubel built that company with Elon Musk for 16 or 17 years. He built that company. Elon Musk has publicly come out and said, without J.B. Straubel, there'd be no Tesla. 
And it was during that time that he said, I love what we're doing. And I love that we're creating cars that are going to make the, the planet a better place, a greener, more sustainable place. But he too recognized the hazards that the environmental hazards that lurk within the lithium ion batteries. So it was during that tenure back in 2017 that he left, stayed on as a consultant, uh, and of course a shareholder of Tesla, but he then moved down the street, very close to where the Gigafactory is, and he opened up Redwood Materials for exactly the question you just asked. So he now takes the batteries and he started at the top of the food chain. On the bottom of the food chain, Mark, I'm sort of the last mile of, of lithium ion batteries, the small stuff. But he started his company, Redwood Materials, at the top of the food chain and he takes the lithium ion batteries and he fully recycles them. He extracts everything out of them that's in them. For instance, copper. It's, even though they're called lithium ion batteries, it's a little bit of a misnomer because the number one material that comes out of lithium ion batteries is copper. And he extracts the copper and then he extracts the cobalt, which of course is a conflict material that comes out of the Congo, which is very controversial in its mining. So it's better now to urban mine it from lithium ion batteries, which he's doing. Nickel. Uh, and then you also have, of course, lithium and you have other trace materials that come out of those batteries. And he's able to 100 percent recycle the lithium ion batteries that come out of all the EV cars. So not only is Tesla his client, of course, but many, many others, dozens of other car companies have now become his clients as well. And but he saw also that in the ecosystem, there's going to be a need similarly for his scale uh, opportunity for EV batteries to also handle smaller batteries. So he's invested in our company, sits on our board, and he gets all of the small batteries as well from us because he realized the small batteries are a problem as well that come out of all of electronics. And that's not slowing down, of course, that's speeding up. So he's the one that's created this industry. He's the largest lithium ion battery recycler in the world. There's other good companies as well, again, but just like with everything else, there's McDonald's, but also there's Burger King and Wendy's and Carl's Jr. and, and, uh, and so many other great brands, Pepsi and Coke. J.B. Straubel is leading the way with Redwood Materials, just like he did with Tesla. And that's the real solution. There's great lithium ion battery solutions out there now that make sure that these materials do not catch fire and also do not go into our landfills and destroy the environment. Yeah, I mean, it's just really good here that we're not just digging a hole someplace in the desert and throwing them right. all in or, or bar barging them out into the uh, off, right. off the coast of New York and, and dumping them. <laughs> you know, so that's right. that's good to hear. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the main, probably one, one of the main motivators of that is obviously everybody wants to protect the environment, but two, uh, as you identified, there's some incredibly valuable materials there. Um, let me ask you, uh, if you were going to give advice to just, you know, individual consumers, uh, because in terms of all the different devices in, in our homes, yeah. um, what advice is, what advice would you give one in terms of, you know, what types of advice, or, excuse me, devices would you allow into your home? And two, you know, how do you, do you, do you dispose of them? Do you recycle them? Do you take them into your garage and, and you know, yeah. drill drill through yeah. everything? I mean, what would you advise? Yeah. Well, a couple of things. Let's go back where we, I want to cover something because I know you want takeaways for your listeners, which is a great uh, platform 
for your listeners to have your show to get takeaways, actionable takeaways. We didn't get into the issue of scale. So the issue of scale, Mark, I want to make sure that when you have chief information security officers or CTOs or IT directors that are listening to your show uh, for small and large organizations uh, that need to choose a vendor to handle their old electronics or their old data farms or their old anything that they touch that could have data in them that are now covered by the laws that are coming in on us all. Because remember, Mark, in 2018, May of 2018, Europe passed GDPR. GDPR governs both privacy and data protection in the Eastern, in the in the in the European Union. Those laws are tightening up in Europe. They're even tightening up in the last couple of weeks. And America looked at the EU for for guidance on many issues. They looked for they looked at GDPR and said, "Oh, we could do that too." Now, of course, we mucked it up in DC. The state saw us mucking up. One bill was 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 floated, a second bill, nine bills were floated, nothing was getting done. So guess what the states did? The state said, hey DC, we're not gonna wait for you. We're gonna we're gonna make it happen in our own hometown, our own home field on a state level. So now the states are passing their own version of GDPR and data privacy laws. So far about nine states have passed them. Um, and when you talk to the smartest people in the cybersecurity world, they said every state's going to have their own version of GDPR by 2025. Now, I say that to you because the chief information security officers and CTOs and IT directors of small, large organizations come to us now. And they come to us and say, hey, how do we even run a process? This is something we haven't dealt with before. And here's the advice I want your listeners to be able to take away. Yes, look for the certifications, which we talked about earlier. National Association of Information Destruction, NIST, and other great certifications like those, SOC 2, critical, SOC 2. But don't believe a website. Just because they say they do it on a website, you and I know, Mark, anyone in a garage, in an attic, can trick up a website and say whatever they want to say nowadays, unfortunately. You have to make sure to go do a site visit. Go and see physically before you choose a vendor that's going to handle your precious, even though they're old and they look dirty and they sometimes don't work anymore, but your precious old electronics that could be holding unbelievably valuable information, not only of your organization and the goodwill of your organization, but of your clients and the goodwill of your clients. You want to make sure you physically go and see what they're doing, and is, your, and is what they claim they're doing on their website or on your Zoom call matching up with what you physically see with your eyes and your ears in terms of shredding, cameras, physical security, procedures, certifications. See the certification certificates with your own eyes. If you do that, you'll, you'll cut out much, much, not perfectly, but much of the risk that choosing the right vendor entails, you'll mitigate most of that risk if you physically go. And then you'll truly know yourself if you're making the right decision. And go visit a couple of these potential vendors before you make your final decision. That's the takeaway I want your listeners who are C chief information security officers, CTOs, directors of IT, or just entrepreneurs who have to make 
this decision for their 10 dry cleaners, for their 15 McDonald's, or other small and medium business entrepreneurs across America that make up this great country, this is what you have to do. Make the effort to make sure the vendors can't keep this information opaque from you. And you yourself will know if you're making the right choice once you go visit one of their locations. Well, thank you for that, John. I think that's some awesome advice. And uh, yeah, 100%. And like you said, if you don't go and check it out with your own eyes, um, who knows what? And just, I mean, imagine the 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 potential liability and the concern and just that kind of weight on your shoulders by not really knowing, right? But right. going there and seeing it and and then, you know, you've got that trust thing and you don't have to worry about it. You you, you find a vendor you can trust and then that part of the the deal is done. So, um, so yeah, so, so then back to my, my, my yes. last question, yes. um, you know, in terms of, you know, devices, because there's so many more de uh, IOT devices that are being brought into our homes now. Well, um, are there any devices that you say, Hey, you know what? I, I probably wouldn't bring that in my home or, well, uh, you know, what are some best practices in terms well, you of you bring up a great them? question. If I it, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, you bring up a great question because there's something that, that ties back to, to, what happened during the pandemic, a phenomenon that's emerged after the pandemic. And I want your listeners to take this phenomenon, think about it hard before you do anything with your home devices. The pandemic happened so fast, the second and third week of March 2020, that the chief information security officers or, direct, or, or chief technology officers at the organizations that most of us work for didn't have a chance to issue protocols and procedures when we started, when they started either sending or we started taking our office devices home with us so we could keep our businesses going during the pandemic. So what happened to all of us? And this is not singling out any one person. We're all not immune from this problem because this is a phenomenon that as a company we've been having to deal with, with large and small organizations, not only in the United States, but around the world. Here's what happened, Mark. We bring home our business devices. And for the first week, two weeks, month, two months, we do our business on our business devices, and then we use our home devices for our home stuff. But as the pandemic wore on and the two-week stay-at-home order became two months, became four months, become eight months, and we all were hopefully waiting for these vaccines to come and help us work our way out of this pandemic, what happened to us which is part of the human condition, is that our lives became melded. And what I mean by that is we started taking personal Zoom calls and personal calls on our business devices, laptops, tablets, cell phones. And we started taking business calls and business conversations and communications on our personal devices. So what that really means, using a little bit of fancy terminology without trying to get too fancy, is we cross-contaminated all of our devices. So now our personal information, most of it ended up on our business devices and our business information and our clients' business information and personal information ended up on our personal devices. So, how you handle your home electronics and home devices has now taken on a whole nother level of new meaning and new processes and controls 
that everybody should think about before you do anything with them, because it's not just your family's protection and your own protection that's at stake anymore. In many, many instances, not all, but in many instances, it's your corporation or organization that you work for or work with, and it's the clients that you also represent that are now embedded or somewhere embedded in your home system ecosystem as well. So all I can say for your listeners as a takeaway is please take extra care and precaution and consult with the organization you work with and the people there that are in charge of these processes and procedures before you do anything with your personal devices or your business devices or organization's devices because a lot more is at stake than there was pre-pandemic and be really careful, take extra care because more at stake than you think can be at stake. And I don't want anyone to have any chance of catastrophic results because the wrong people get your personal or your professional devices out of your home, which you think are benign into their hands and do the wrong things with them. Again, I think that's some some excellent advice. Hey, um, John, we're kind of uh, running up on our on our time limit here, but I did want to ask you um, about your book, The Insecurity of Everything, that I believe that you are a co-author on. Uh, maybe you could just give us a quick overview of what it is and where it can be found. A lot of the information we just discussed, we wrote it not to make money. We wrote it pre-pandemic. We released it during the pandemic. We just did it as an information tool Mark, so the bottom line is it can be found on Amazon. Thanks to the people out there, the, the consumers that really are interested in this topic. They made it an Amazon bestseller in the cybersecurity space. But because you're so kind to have me on your show and spread this information uh, and, and your listeners stayed on and listened, what I'll do is for your first 200 listeners, if they write to you, Mark, and give their home address or business address, and you forward that to us, to our producers here, Mark, I'll send them a free book. If they're interested in this information, I'll send them the book. There's no strings attached. I just want them to have it because in one night they can breeze through it. It's not a heavy read and they can understand a lot of the issues that we just discussed today and maybe get a couple of good pearls of wisdom out of it and put them into implementation and further protect either their home or their organization or both and make the world just a better and safer place. That's a very kind offer. I, I'll, I'll think through the logistics of this um, <laughs> and put and put through put some information in the show notes. Okay. Uh, maybe have people reach out to you directly. Fine. Uh, just because I don't want to be handling data. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. So, we're happy to yeah. take them. And like I said, they zero. Um, you know, these these this is the no strings attached. It's just to share information. And uh, and because of your kindness of hosting me today and having me on your show, I just want to share the book to just share more information with with your listeners out there. That's all. That's amazingly generous, John. Hey, John, really appreciate uh, your time and have enjoyed this conversation and like to wish you a great remainder of the uh, the summer of 2022. Yeah, continue to success to you, Mark, both in your uh, your professional life and also with your great podcast. And thank you to all the listeners for listening today. Thanks for having me on, Mark. Hello, welcome to Secure Talk, your trusted source of information on the latest threats, trends, tools, and technology related to cybersecurity and compliance.